Hey everybody, just a quick disclaimer here. On this episode, there's a slight um, tinning with my audio, and that's because, unbeknownst to us, I was recording on a different microphone that is also hooked up to the computer that I record on. But the content is so good that we really felt that we needed to bring this to you guys. So we just want to apologize for it, but here is the episode. Mom, I'm bored. So says every child at regular intervals growing up. I know I did, usually with languishing tones. We're all included in that number, and some of us more often than others, and we were likely told by parents or guardians to figure something out, or we might have it figured out for us in terms of manual labor. So we usually figured it out ourselves. Uh, We live in a world today where there are so many options for distractions. We could always spend our time somehow filling ourselves with some kind of thing or video clip or something else or phone that never allow us to feel the pangs of boredom knock on our door. Are we better for constantly placating ourselves or do we need that boredom? Think about this as we launch out into the loop and discuss the necessity of boredom today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Josh. And this is Brian. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and movement started by two lifelong friends, Brian and myself, who want to share conversations with you that explore, examine, and reframe common, practical topics that spark your curiosity, help you integrate information, and enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world. You can find us online at www.curiositycontinuum.com with continuum has two U's in it. I still have to work on that when I type it in my browser as well. (laughs) You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We have links on the website. And please follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and please interact with us and rate us. We'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast. So today we are addressing the necessity of boredom, or kind of uh, this idea that everything has boredom and tedium to it. I want to ask Josh an opening question. So what did your mom tell you to do growing up when you were bored? And the answer is probably different as you got older, too. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was when I was young, I stayed in the house mostly. I, I kind of remember it was like, well, um, go find something, or you can clean your room, or go out here and do this, or just stay away from me or something like that. You know? <laughs> I think my mom was always really there for us and did lots of things for us. But uh, I think sometimes we really, we really push your buttons. I think, yeah, every child think pushes the buttons and yeah. only years later do you realize that. Um... It's hard to beat <laughs> you... yourself out of someone else. So you kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to say, just get out of my hair for a while. Right. I think the, those spaces are important though, because, um, especially as a parent, you're filled with so much attention that you're giving to other people other than yourself that sometimes you don't have a fallow moment. Just like look at the wall or put your brain in neutral or something like that. You know, um, I know my mom would do the same thing. Cleaning my room was probably in there somewhere. I know for me, uh, depending sometimes, you know, growing up in Minnesota, you don't have the option of going outside right? unless you want to freeze to death in a very short <laughs> period of time. <laughs> so, or when it is yeah. nice and you, you almost feel like you have to go outside. That's true. It's like, I need to go outside now because otherwise pretty soon it's going to turn to road construction season and we will never see this again for another 11 months or so, you know? Right. Uh, so for my times inside, especially uh, when I was a little guy and then now in my adulthood, I enjoy, you know, I don't do it as often as I did then, but I love Legos. Legos. I just was a thing that I really 
got into and loved always tearing things apart. One of the, the best things was not the what did I build based on the instructions, but kind of tearing it down and trying to think about, you know, what is it that I could build now? Those are my favorite inventions that I still remember to this day. My son, as he's built things, my wife, much to her chagrin, as we've torn things apart, she goes, what are you doing? You tore it apart. And I'm like, but that's the fun part of it. Now we can create something different. You know, there, now, admittedly, there is a big pile and drawer of Legos that we're not using right now, but, <laughs> you know, it's there waiting for us when the time comes. Yeah. And I remember this was actually before I met Brian. We lived in Bethel Seminary, which is outside of, actually, I think it's technically Arden Hills, but we would always call it St. Paul, St. Paul, Minnesota. My father was going to school there for his uh, Master of Divinity. And we had this great, it was a, it was pretty much in a you know heavily populated area, but it was all wooded off. It had lots of woods, lots of trails, and it was all had a big fence around it. So I think my mom just kind of like always wanted us to go outside in the summer when, when we were at home. <laughs> so yeah. um, I remember like she actually took the TV away in the summer for a few years and just told us to go outside. And I remember at the time being so like not really angry, but just like, what am I going to do? There's no TV, even though at that time, like they didn't show new programs in the summer you weren't missing anything except for maybe wheel of fortune at night or something like that this is true (laughs) or you you made sure you planned so you watched the episode you didn't see the first time around so you could see it but right if they even showed it because sometimes they didn't even show stuff until it was like a month before the show would start again i don't know if you remember that i do yeah they kind of work through the season and then it's they start advertising the new and you're like, oh, maybe I should start catching start, up. So start at least I remembered watching I it. Yeah, exactly. So now we yeah. got that, you know, Netflix or whatever. You just binge it all. But <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Um, but to this day, because of that, and I was like, we would go outside. We would get in all sorts of trouble. I remember one time we rolled grills down a hill. Um, they oh were not gosh. our grills. They were neighbors' <laughs> grills that were sitting up. We lived in these apartment complexes, and there was so everybody put their grills outside. And we were rolling them down the hill. Um, I remember we did that. We did a bunch of other stuff we weren't supposed to do. But anyway, I mean, we didn't die. You know, it, it was learning. Ex- we did, it was learning experiences. And, it's um, true. And it was fun. And we we did have a lot of fun. To this day, when it's nice outside, and now that I live in South Florida, it's nice a lot. I feel like I should go outside and just kind of like be outside. So it is kind of hard to get things done inside unless it's like raining or so hot that i feel like i will die if i go outside so <laughs> you don't die outside josh don't do it no die and in, die inside die instead. inside if you can yeah <laughs> so to this day so i mean i do owe her a thank you for that because she did kind of like instill upon me that it's good to go outside i had uh when some of the i had really bad allergies growing up and so the times i did go outside when i wasn't all messed up and stuff like that i remember um i loved riding bikes because i grew up in the country one of my favorite things to do, and, and I actually decorated my bike like Data on the Goonies because I liked all the mirrors and things like that. So I tried to gear up as much as I possibly could before I started, you know, kind of biking around the neighborhood. I grew up uh, on a, a four-acre farm, more like a hobby farm, and there's a creek and stuff nearby. And Josh remembers a house from uh, coming over to our, my place growing up and things like that. So a lot of good things to kind of go outside and do and just kind of be. And the one thing I actually missed were the purple lilac bushes. that were They're about 100 years old. And every spring they'd bloom, and I took it took them for granted until I moved away from that house and didn't realize what I was missing. You know, sometimes those things you don't notice until they're gone. You know, it's just like, well, this is like a part of life. You know, and you like, oh, it's just the lilac bush, and you kind of almost right. treat it like it's normal 
or tedious or mundane. It's actually not. And I think part of the thing, as you look back in your life, you could say, you know, that was really special. I didn't recognize how special it was until after the fact. The one thing that's interesting to me is that in this world, especially now when you can fill your time with so many things, is that there's always something for you to kind of give your time to. And it's, time is your most precious commodity. You're never going to get it back. Everybody's given the same amount of time, regardless of whether you're poor or you're rich or whatever it is. Same amount of time every, every week. It just kind of goes by and you, you decide how you spend it. The thing that's interesting to me is because there's so many things now that kind of try to always kind of play on the edges of novelty or trying to keep you there. It, it's kind of a self, self-destructive thing or it's kind of like the, the snake that eats its own tail. Because the important things in life, there's always something boring or tedious in everything, right. in everything that we do. Yeah. And I mean, like Brian's saying, yeah, like think about your job or what you do for a living or even just a chore. And and I think like we call them chores because we don't like to do them. But if nobody did stuff in my house, it wouldn't get done. You know, if if I don't if I don't wash laundry or do the dishes or clean up after myself, which my wife will tell you I don't clean up after myself, <laughs> but I do because she should seen I always tell her you should have seen it before I cleaned. So then you would be really angry at me. <laughs> but um, if you don't do that kind of stuff and you have to do that stuff to get to the things that you want to spend your time doing. Yeah. There's some things that just for the necessity of life, you know, I, I've, I've never left a mess and come back to it and say, oh, it looks better now that I lo- haven't looked at it for You're a day and a half. You're usually more angry with yourself. <laughs> this is true. Or, you know, it, it evokes anger in your spouse. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty organized person. My desk, especially over the last few years, as I've spent more time at home being self-employed and stuff like that, I realized that I used to have a really pristine-looking desk, and now I know there's mail, you know, boring a hole through the desk and, and breathing at me because I haven't looked at it for so long. But at some point, I'll have to go through that as well. You know, the one thing I was thinking about today, and I met with a friend, you know, he's 25 years old, and so I had a good chance to kind of talk about the podcast and different things that we were doing on here. You know, and the one thing that was I, I was so happy to hear him say was that there are some parts of of the life and everything, and he knows this as a fact because I've seen his work ethic and his character and different things, that not everything is a happy moment. Not everything is uh, joyous or exciting. The attitude that everything should be entertaining to me is kind of showing that we've spent too much time trying to be entertained versus digging in and doing the work. I think that's part of the reason why, too, why people when they've stayed married for so long. You know, my uh, wife's grandparents made it to 73 years of marriage, and the only thing that separated them was the grave. That was the only thing that did it. And I, you got to know that 73 years wasn't all glitz and glamour and everything. Right. You know, there's a, uh, a guy that was married. He had a really funny thing. You know, somebody asked him, how long have you been married for? He goes, 25 wonderful years. His wife looks at him and says, honey, we've been married 40 years. He said, like I said, 25 wonderful <laughs> years, you know, not everything is roses, but the longevity of a relationship like that, there are going to be those tedious things you have to slog through to get to the good times. And that's part of it to, to have the expectation that we will always be endlessly entertained and that we should never experience boredom. I, mean, bo- I never died of boredom, Josh. I don't know about you, but I'm still living on the earth and I had long stretches <laughs> of times in my childhood where as much as I thought I would die of boredom, I never did. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think especially as children of when I was, if I think back to when I was a kid, which seems like a long time ago, which probably wasn't really that long ago, but it it feels like it was, I did feel like I was going to die. Like, Oh, I'm not going to, what am I doing today? Or what am I going to do today? 
that's when you know your parents would say hey find something to entertain yourself or we will find something to entertain you and <laughs> mainly entertaining them <laughs> while yes, they, watching while they, you do watching it you and do suffer it. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean and, and i'm not saying you should never give your children something to do but they should have time that is their time and that they should be able like unstructured time and a way to to know how to to navigate those situations because i know for a lot of children now there's a lot of screen time that they have in restaurants, they have it in waiting rooms, they have it whatever. And it's like they're always plugged into something rather than just like looking up and paying attention to the people around them or talking to somebody new. There's a lot to be said about having the time just looking around in the real world and doing those things. I think part of the thing too is where um, there's, there's almost because people haven't wanted to be bored, it's almost led to extremes where you see people you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's like it becomes so grandiose and big in their mind because they've kind of allowed themselves to never be fully bored. But then what they realize is that that's kind of like, you know, you've eaten too much candy and you kind of feel sick to your stomach. So you kind of have to like purge it and stuff like that. And so like you have to do things even more grandiose to make it feel special again. Yeah. I mean, how would you, you know, how would you spend your time if you didn't like always constantly were on, were on your screen, right? I mean, you and I, we had the we kind of grew up at a time where we didn't have, when we had computers and we had TVs, but if you didn't have anything on the TV or if you didn't have a purpose to be on the computer, I mean, like, what did you used to spend your time doing when you were a kid? You know, I loved playing cards since I've moved away from the North and, and moved further South. A little bit harder to find people that like to play cards, but the reason why is because it was a tactile experience. There's endless, there's, you know, near endless combinations of things. Of, to play with it and it was a way that you could actually talk to people in between stuff you know maybe talk smack wild game is <laughs> happening when you're dealing and when you're dealing out the cards it's a great way to just converse with folks my grandma was uh, card shark supreme and we played games and she had this <laughs> leather bag of quarters and it, she <laughs> she guarded it like the holy grail you would think that you know there was like diamonds or something in there but she was always the, the quarter queen and we'd play things you know, it was like three you know, three quarters in grace. So whatever game we play, if it was golf or something like that, we was all, we were always keeping track of it. And she was always making sure that she was buying the quarters back because she had kept a stash of everything. Cards are something I really enjoyed. I also, I remember in the fifth grade, I got a remote control car and not the kind that you just pull out of the box and do, but it was a kit. And it was the Blackfoot kit. Oh, you, remote con- I remember those. Yeah, you'd actually yeah. put them together. It was a remote control truck. And I remember I loved it because my friend Joe and I, it took us a month, I think, to put it together. Because we purposely didn't get any help from my folks. It was something like, you know, you had a fifth grader and a sixth grader just trying to figure it out. And that was one of my favorite toys to play with. I took such pride in actually building it. And there were stuck moments and I had to disassemble some things and put it back together. And it was so detailed and I loved the work for it. I ended up selling it eventually just because I think I wanted to fund some other ventures in my, you know, growing up life or something like that. But I know for the things that I built, and spent my time into it, I took the most pride in. I took the most, like, uh, there was a story behind it, and I remember that time, I didn't consider it lost time. Even the stretches where I'm like, here's the 25th part I've put together like this, I knew that it was purposeful for something, you know? Right. I remember coming over to your house, and there was always, you had some type of, like, model always in process, whether it was, uh, like, a, a, a Star Trek something, or a, a car or something. You always had something going. And it was always very detailed, and you had all these, like, little your Dremel tools and everything. Yeah. I, I would, I would uh, buy, I had a paper route. So I would have, I would get like, I had to split that money with my brothers because they were supposed to be helping and they did most of the time, but they always got the some of the money, even if they didn't help. So 
<laughs> that's how that works. But um, yeah, I would take that money and invest it into modeling and my video game habit. But not too much of uh, not too much video games, believe it or not. I didn't really buy that many video games, and I, I did mostly models. So, I think the video games, from that standpoint, though, like you got me into computer gaming and other things. The games were tough. Like right. the games as a as a whole, if you're a gamer, they've gotten. If you exert enough effort, you can kind of get over. It. But there are sometimes in games growing up, like you had no clue and you were just stuck. You know, and you had to beg, borrow, and steal, or you know, beg your mom to call the Nintendo hotline out in California because it's a long distance phone call. Right. It's like it's going to be two bucks a minute. You better ask real quick the guy on the other end of the phone. Right. To see what's going on. You know. I don't know. I think those times you start to say, well, what if this? You start to play with possibilities versus always being handed the answer. And I think that the one thing, especially now, if you look at toys or or things, some of it's because hey, it's cheaper. We can make more money because it's just disposable. But in the time when you grew up when things weren't disposable and you spent the time, it really was useful to have that invested because you learned something. The next time you did it, you could do it better. You could, you know, kind of think of something yourself. I miss the things where it actually requires some attention to detail and some time. And I know that life gets busier and there's more things that can kind of pull at you, especially as we get older. I also think it's important that to relate busyness does not always mean you're doing something constructive. That's true. So Exactly. So, I mean, you could be bored and busy or busy yes. and bored. I've seen people like that where they're doing so much things that they they don't have, they're not like setting it up in the right, correct way. And part yeah. of that, I think, is also because maybe they didn't have any experiences with some time just for themselves to do whatever. They didn't have these ideas. So they couldn't, it's hard for them to figure out how to structure their work time so that they could get to like time to be you know, to just not have any, have unstructured time. And some people, especially this culture, busyness is not the badge of honor to be one here, folks. I think, it, it, you know, if you said to somebody, hey man, how's it going? Or, or hey, you know, hey girl, what's going on? He said, oh, I'm busy. You know, what if you said like, you know what? I have these stretches of spare time now where I just have, I'm bored and I, I create. I mean, some people probably say you found the unicorn in the field or some people look at you funny like, are you really actually doing all the things you're supposed to do? But you really are, you know, yeah. it, it's, we, it's so easy to just say busy and like, that's a badge of like, you're doing something great. Right. I, I, I know for me in this season of my life, I have purposely tried to deconstruct my schedule and put it back together, go, what needs to come out? What should stay in? You know, sometimes in a given day, there's a lot of schedule density, but the more and more I go, it's like, is that really the thing that's going to be the best use of time? Because I want those times when I don't have anything those are the times I'm creative. Those are the times that I can just recharge and do that. I understand not everybody's, you know, recharges in the same way. But there are some things only when you're left alone all by myself. <laughs> with, that's the only way you're going to ever work through some things in your life or whatever else, you know? I think it's good. I mean, I think we got, we got, we gave people something to think about. At least I hope we did. Yeah. So the encouragement this week is not to choose to be bored. At a certain point, yeah. you know, and just allow yourself to not look at a screen and, and find out something you do. Put you probably your phone will down. The, that's the one thing I'm going to, I'm going to challenge people to do this too. When you get home from work, this is something that I have, I have to work on. And when I, I get home from work, put your phone down, put it in another room, mute it for at least an hour. So you can talk to the people around you or who's there. You might feel bored, like you're not doing something, but you don't want to become addicted to that either. 
Very true. The uh, the no phone zone is probably a good way we could do. no phone zone, baby. You know what I'm saying? Just no yeah, phone zone. At least for an hour. I mean, it's not long. It just helps you get in a different rhythm of everything. Right. You know? So anyway, hopefully this will encourage you to, to uh, choose boredom in some ways. And in some ways, too, when you hit those patches, realize that it's not fatal. You're going to get through it. And it's going to be part of the journey to get to somewhere quality because you're spending the time needed in order to get there well. So I think with that, we'll put a comment in the conversation for this week. And until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum. Thank you.